Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The best marketing is just doing this for a while. Make, make friends, find other people doing it, mutually hype each other's work. You know, there's always, there's always the person who's lucky. They release their first game. It, it's a smashing success. You know, they make a million dollars doing it. Whatever. That is not the standard experience indie game developers. And just, like, prepare yourself for it. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. The show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the tabletop RPG arena. My name is Jeremy Gage, and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing. If you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Draw Your Dice podcast. My name is Jeremy, as you heard in the intro, but today is not about me. Today is about someone special. Another brain trustee. Oh, they look... They looked behind themselves. Who's special? <laughs> who, who is it? Today, I would like to introduce our guest, Keegan. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, super excited to be here. I'm super excited to finally have you on the show. Yeah. You know, it, it finally happened. Here yeah, we are. We've, te- we've teased it out for months. <laughs> Since... The beginning of the podcast. <laughs> absolutely true. Keegan, as always on this show, would you just give a brief introduction of yourself as how you present yourself to the world for those who may not know who you are? Yeah, I'm Keegan. You can find my work. I'm at Keegan EXE on like all the things, basically. Yeah, we're going to talk games and stuff today. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> we're running. We're trying to get for shortest episode shortest here episode. today. Let's go. Power we're... through this. <laughs> As the as as of the recording of this episode, Viditia holds longest episode that had to be broken up into two parts. We're looking to smash this thing out in fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the faster this is, the longer it's going to take everyone to realize I'm an idiot. So stop. You know. <laughs> 
Stop it. There is no self-deprecation on my show. Oh, no. That's <laughs> that's my entire brand. Keegan, for everyone to just show, showcase your journey into game design, what was sort of the first role-playing game that you really got into, played maybe regularly or something to that effect? And then what was the first game that sort of like prompted your spark into game design? So I actually just learned this the other day. My first role-playing game wasn't D&D somehow. I played Perfect. a single session of Fate. We did character building. We were planning mm-hmm. a campaign, and then it fell apart. And I went four years out playing another role-playing game. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And then I played D&D. So it really, like, you know, came up on D&D. I say came up. I've only been playing role-playing games for maybe three years. Oh, wow. Really, truly not very long. And then I took over DMing for my group shortly before the pandemic started. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is fun. I'm enjoying, like, homebrewing things. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, people publish this sort of thing. I'm not doing anything better. So I started looking at publishing for, like, DMs Guild and stuff. And then was mm-hmm. like, it was right around the start of the pandemic. And, you know, there's always uh, something going on with Woods of the Coast. I was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I want to attach my name to this brand. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure this is the look for me. And somebody actually introduced me to Babblegum Sam, I think is his their name on Twitter. But someone introduced me to Sam, who was doing a game for uh, Chris Bissett's Wretched and Alone Jam. And I was like, oh, what are indie games? <laughs> <laughs> so fast, you're just riding the wave. Yeah, truly, like, I really haven't been doing this very long. I, I love that. That's amazing. I mean, I think we fit in that same vein of generation when it comes to that because I've only been playing role-playing games since I was... God, when did I, when did I first play D&D? 27? So, no, 26? Something like that. So four years, and then I just got into game design like last September. So it's just, Or not last September, it was September before last, before the pandemic started. So Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely crazy. And you have been smashing it out of the park as far as, like, being, what? I don't even, I don't want to say the word new. I don't want to say amateur. You're professionally been paid for your games, right? So yeah. but you produce you produce a lot of content in a short amount of time. Yeah, I have a sort of theory that things are good enough sometimes. I very much came up on the concept of not letting, what is it, perfect be the enemy of good? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I have, sometimes things are just good enough. Sometimes it's like as far as you can take a project and you just release it there. Keep moving. I, I love it. There, There's definitely some weight behind that whole, and here's, you know, the other thing attached to that is, is that you can, you always have the authority to redo something you've already done. Like, I think there's a lot of that, that what, you, what you're saying, the uh, perfect being the enemy of good enough, right, mm-hmm. is like, you sort of don't do, you don't work with your old content anymore. Some people can take it that way, right? Like you put it out, you're done with it, you never look at it again. But I think there's always this spectrum of like, or authority that you have that you can always revisit something and be like, okay, I've learned things and I would like to improve this game, right? When we talk about like second editions, revised yeah. editions, whatever have you. I've actually, the first real game I introduced, it's not the one we're talking about today, but I made Fragmented was my first like real, mm-hmm. like real approach at making a game. And I put it out it's great i love the game still um holds a special place for me but i think like three months after i put it out i was like oh 
I could just redo this whole thing. <laughs> so mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. you know, like relayed out the whole game, got new art for it, cleared mm-hmm. up the whole thing. And it's, you know, it's like fragmented. I think it's fragmented reloaded now. Because I was watching a bunch of The Matrix <laughs> right when I was doing it. Perfect. Um, but yeah, you know, like Fragmented 2 was just like, okay, cool. We're better at this now. We could do better on this now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that that film was sort of the partial inspiration for that for that remake as well. So that's really cool. Yeah, I that whole... I think it's not the one we're talking about today. But, uh, but go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, that whole game was actually inspired by... A Netflix movie that I truly can't think of the title of right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I sort of have that get inspired quickly, bust out a game, and then it's like, okay, we'll, you know, we'll get back to this later if we need to. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Well, what a great segue, kind of, into talking about the first game. We'll talk about Fanta. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, so. You know, why don't you give, you know, because I was about to, but I realized that I'll do a poor job at it. Why don't you give a brief intro as to what Fanta is for everyone? Okay, cool. Yeah, so Fanta was a game I put out for the Record Collection Jam this year. It is a, like, two to five player role-playing a game about people who, oh god, I'm so bad at plugging my own games. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> it's I'm about riding the wave. People who sort of, the earth was destroyed 42 years ago, only one city. Uh, it's the city of El Dorado Springs, Colorado. It's the only city that survived. And it's, there's a lot to it. There's a, it's a huge, there's a lot of lore for a short game, but mm. yeah, it's like about the, you know, the, what happens next for the people who are still there. I, on the topic of a lot of lore, I mean, yeah, there's what I'm, The lore bit is chunky, but I think it's the perfect amount for getting an idea of the shape of this sort of almost dystopian, it feels like the last of us kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has those feels. And there's just all this juiciness about like overcoming hardship and and community and, and things like that, because you're all sort of in it together. It's almost it also has like it feels like it has. I've never seen it. I'm not going to watch it, listeners, so don't come at me, but I've never seen The Walking Dead, but I feel like it has Walking Dead sort of energy. So I've also never seen The Walking Perfect. Dead. Perfect. So don't come it. at us, I'll fight you. <laughs> yeah, it, it is very much a game for my role-playing group and how we like to mm-hmm. play games, mm-hmm. in that like there's a good bit of lore up front, but still plenty of room to just sort mm-hmm. of make shit up at the table. I super agree with that. It seems, you know, it has a basic 2D6 rolling system, add that all up together. What were some of, like, the touchstone inspirations for, like, mechanics, lore, and everything like that? Truly. If if any, if any. So for touchstones, like, design touchstones, like, how the Mm. roles work, stuff like that, were I thought I came up with it by myself. I was like, cool, these are these are sort of like the number ranges, let's do this. And I showed it to my husband after finishing it, and he was like, oh, cool, yeah, that's the Powered by the Apocalypse rolling system. <laughs> like, oh, it, oh, it is? I, I had never <laughs> um, played a Powered by the Apocalypse game at that point. It's not quite the exact same table, but it's, it's remarkably close. Mm-hmm. Come to find out that's just how the numbers work. <laughs> um, so you're like the second coming of Vincent Baker, basically. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hearing. 
yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> no, and then lore-wise, it's really just based on the song Fanta by Le Tigre, who, like I said, it was a record collection game. So uh, mm-hmm. they were all inspired by a song or a band or an album. And you know, that was a song about an actual historical event, which was a fun thing to have to research to make this game, of 42 years ago, a group of hippies thinking the meteor Icarus was about to destroy the planet. I love it. I thought it. W- I thought that was just you putting in lore. That's amazing. No, they really. There is. I have the article somewhere. I paid for a New York Times subscription just to get <laughs> one article from you know. <laughs> Damn you, years New ago. York Times. No, they really thought the fucking meteor was going to hit the Earth, even though you know there were like a million scientists who were like, "It's a few trillion miles off." Like. Mm-hmm, we're good. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. And they were convinced that Colorado was going to be safe. It wasn't specifically El Dorado Springs, but they all went and they all took a bus up to <laughs> Boulder, Colorado <laughs> and hid out for a week, which is just sort of like a wild story. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I think it totally fits with the game you created here. For anyone that's like not looking at it, I love sort of this... It has like this typewriter feel almost. It has like this weatherness. You did a great job with like the layout design of the entire book. It's really good. Thank you. Yeah, it's a couple of, I think it's three separate typewriter fonts depending on the section. But yeah, they're all just uh, free. They're all Google fonts. I think they're Special Elite and Lectin are the two I use the most. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. So yeah, why don't you give us a little... So what was the story that you were trying to tell here with the game? Because, you know, for... I don't want to use the phrase games of this size because it puts into a category and I don't want to do that. But usually there's some sort of very specific evocation that you are trying to distill in a game of this size, right? So, like, when it's not 300 pages blown out over three books, D&D stuff... It's like, this is the story you're telling. There's no other audibles you can pull here. So what were you trying to capture with this game? It was really just a game about, you know, just like a bunch of people surviving, trying to make a better future Mm -hmm. for themselves. It is very specifically designed around the idea that there isn't a correct way necessarily for this to happen. Mm -hmm. There are some Mm -hmm. like loose plot points. There are some loose uh, story hooks near the back of, of the game, but nothing to even really describe where those go. It's very much, I want every table that plays it to have just a wildly different experience. Yeah. Do you have the, the bit about the Martians in the back? Because I like, I was reading it, and I was like, oh, this this seems like very like full standard stuff. And then you have the, you explain the, was it the challenges? And then the Martian at the end that like just fully can decimate you <laughs> like, without a second thought. I was like, holy shit, this thing is huge. Yeah, it ten, was... Um... 10 physical, 14 mental stress and possesses the shit out of you. <laughs> Scare me, dude. Yeah, I, I run, personally, I run very high lethality campaigns with my home group. So I just wanted a sort of like a shout out to just like totally decimating your playgroup with something you know i have a i have a playgroup that's very expected it's definitely mm-hmm. not a thing for everyone <laughs> but you know i just wanted to be like you know it the game presents everything as sort of like low lethality there's you like take stress when you get hit and very specifically characters don't die unless players want them to they're just written out of the story 
right? Um, sure. They just stop sure. adventuring. But I did sort of want something that right there at the end that was like, oh, but you know, if you did want to decimate, like completely decimate <laughs> your play group, this is how I would do it. <laughs> yeah, it, this is like, this is your permission to do so. Yeah, this is, the ba- the back of the book is just a bunch of sample stats for different you know, types of enemies you might come across Mm. just because I'm really comfortable, like, building enemies on the fly, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, throwing an encounter together in a couple seconds, but I understand that's not going to be the norm with every playgroup, so I wanted some just quick examples of, you know, like, roughly this much health they should have, they should have roughly, you know, this and stats sort of thing, so you could just quickly look at it and be like, okay, cool, that's, you know, it's, it's a wolf in the book, but it's going to be a giant eagle or something in mm-hmm. the, the playgroup. But it just really gives you permission to just hack it as you see fit. Yeah. I find, like, when I talk about... I've also homebrewed, like, monsters for D&D in the past. Mm-hmm. But I find myself being more able to flex that muscle when the game more relies on, like, tags and, like, general harms, like, conditional things for making up homebrew. So, I don't know, this is just a conversation about, like, a person's cognitive load that they can take on when it comes to particular systems, or, like, the crunchier, like, probably speaking to you and me, we can bust out a D&D 5e monster in, like, seconds and be like, yeah. hey, this thing's fucking tough, you better run. <laughs> right? But I find it, I find that potentially it would be easier when you design games that have a homebrew that's sort of, like, tag-based, right? This thing is melee it does two harm, mm-hmm. uh, it uses fire as a tactic, right? Like those three things that you put out there gives enough information for people to be like, oh, I get why or why not we should be engaging with this, whatever right. it is. Yeah. Do you have a favorite piece of tech or content in the book that like you're just like, I love that I wrote that? God, I really should read my own writing sometimes, shouldn't I? <laughs> Uh, no, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, actually, I really like, this is the thing I think I did well here, is the sort of crit system in this game. Where if you mm-hmm. roll two sixes, you get a permanent boon that just changes the way mm, mm-hmm. it very much changes the way the characters interface with the world more than being like, oh, cool, you get extra damage, you see a little more. So it's things like, you know, you get, you're trying to talk to a trader, you're trying to, you know, like buy something off him and you happen to crit on your communication check. There we go. Found it. <laughs> yeah, it's on the whiteboard behind <laughs> the screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you like credit on your communication check, you're able to not only is he, you know, does the trader have the thing you're looking for, or they'll give you the discount you want, but they'll permanently remember you better. So it sort of gives you a NPC you can just always go to in the area. Mm-hmm. Or God, I have all these examples of them in the back. I really should just look at them. So you like, you know, you crit on a knowledge check, for example, and you the example in the book is that you start having prophetic dreams, which are Mm. Sort of a thing lightly referenced with uh, some of the NPCs in there already. But you start having prophetic dreams and you just know a little more about, you know, different places you're going going in, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't make a ton of sense for your character. Mm -hmm. But just sort of stuff like that that just changes how you interface with the world, I think is really interesting in this sort of game. I love that. I love a sense of like permanence right because i think sometimes speaking more to like traditional adventure games well i guess maybe not even so they also have permanence but there's always this like if it's not written in there and you give players an advantage now that advantage earned may not be present later right it's it's always this kind of like wishy-washy thing and i love that you've created something that says hey when you give a boon out it sticks like this is gonna be here for a really long time they're like 
probably the next four or five sessions. So remember that because they could come back to it at any point, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's also like when you consider things like bonds in other games, how bonds are sort of that permanence in NPC relationships or something or in a place. I love it. It's really good. Yeah, it's a fun bit of design. I think permanent boons were the thing I was most excited about writing the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you have, like, a favorite piece of lore that you wrote in the game? Favorite piece of lore? So I've been writing, and I guess this is probably going to segue into Star Heist fairly decently, too, which is nice. Perfect. But I have been, there's sort of a Fanta extended universe, I guess, where (laughs) I am writing more things for Fanta. So very, like, I think I saw Spencer Camp, yeah, Spencer do it first, with light and the season passes that all sort of change how the game works just a little you know it'll introduce Mm -hmm. new rules there's always a little bit of new lore in each of them just new ways the world work and i think it's really interesting so i've been Mm -hmm. doing that with fanta so i um, am having a little bit of a hard time remembering what lore is out there (laughs) already what lore i have in a document on my computer for um, what comes next Give us a sneak peek. Tell us whatever you want to tell us. Yeah. So I have been writing a series of adventures that use the plot hooks present in the book for groups that don't necessarily just want to homebrew the whole thing, Mm -hmm. which is great. So it is a sort of cosmic horror themed. It, Mm -hmm. It takes all of the plot hooks present in the book and brings them to a conclusion that sort of leads you down this cosmic horror path where, Mm -hmm. you know, the meteor was sent to Earth by something unearthly. There was a reason everybody else thought it was going to miss, and that's because it should have. And then after this one, I'm going to recontextualize all of the plot hooks towards something else. So, you know, we're going to do cosmic horror first, and then we might look at, like, okay, we're going to do like zombies next or something. Mm-hmm. And we find a way that all of those plot hooks work in towards like a different end goal. That's amazing. That's very, very cool. I know that as of the recording of this episode, Spencer is, and along with me, and now it sounds like you tangentially or like in the ether on another side of the country, uh, <laughs> are talking about this concept of tabletop, live tabletop RPGs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, taking the concepts of video games, kind of mostly MMORPGs are like they have expansions and patch updates, class changes, new adventures are being introduced, and they always sort of redesign the base game around those things. Yeah. So it's really interesting that you're doing this as well, and I, we should definitely have like a group chat of you, me, and Spencer talking about this sort of live iteration of games because he's me and him have been talking about like what if we just didn't do a print game like what if our games were only digital yeah yeah you only read them on your phone or ipad or whatever sure does that limit an audience to some extent maybe a little bit but you know the future is coming yeah i so phantasm musingly the first game i've ever done a print run for and i truly think there's a lot more you can do with digital just out of having like easy form fillable documents stuff like that where i think there are a bunch of advantages to exclusively physical or exclusively digital sort of game like this yeah yeah we talked about like creating like a website where like it you know taking lessons from like roll 20 but not using roll 20 creating your own sort of like 
Fanta website where it has like fill like you said form fillable character sheets and constant updates on the game and et cetera et cetera et cetera and however that schedule works for you so like building those ecosystems you can make apps for phones and shit like you, there are already like what ten thousand D and D character sheet apps so yeah. why not make one for your game <laughs> yeah I think that's a really cool thing and I'm not here to plug them or anything because they're not paying me but same being able to make digital character sheets for play role I think is one of the more exciting things that website has currently mm-hmm. Star Heist has them Fanta has them. All of my future games, I build out character sheets on Playroll before I build them out for what might potentially be like a print run of them, just because I think it's such an interesting way to like use that technology. Yeah, especially when you're figuring out how to lay out the character sheet, what does, because, you know, the real estate on Roll app is very vertical mm-hmm. and semi-limited in that scope, right? So you figure out like, okay, I might be a little bloated in this particular avenue let me see if i can rework this mechanic to a smaller frame or whatever right yeah it's fun to it's it's a thing i like doing anyways but like working Mm -hmm. around working around a tool or working around an aesthetic or an appearance or whatever Mm -hmm. rather than working and then figuring those things out yeah yeah very good amazing fanta's good buy it don't hesitate on this you're hearing it right now pause the episode and buy buy this shit buy keegan shit woo Hashtag trends. So in this little piece of, you know, you've been a longtime fan, I'm sure. Longtime listener, first time caller. Yeah. Aw. So in in this segment. Completely threw you off, hell yeah. Yeah, my heart grew three times its size today. Here we talk about things that you're seeing in the Twitter space that you are finding really interesting that people are kind of bringing out in game design, like they're calling for something, or they just keep repeating it over and over again. Or maybe you're finding there's some sort of trend that's happening that's being detractful for the scene that you kind of want to bring to light. And then also, you know, also available, are there any trends within yourself that you sort of want to speak into the ether for listeners that you want to see more of in game design? Yeah, I think we briefly covered something sort of gentle to this, but I'd like to highlight a little more, which is modular game design. So yep. things like light, war- frame, uh, music. Spencer's really good at this. I'm going to keep Yeah. Going. Hi, Spencer. Yeah, hi, Spencer. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like, this is a thing I've been doing with Fanta. This is a thing. Star Heist is like a weird take on the same engine, but mm-hmm. just sort of continual updates for the exact same game. You know, mm-hmm. just putting out new content for it. Finding something that works and just like, keep doing it if you have an audience for it rather than Mm -hmm. thinking you have to release something brand new every month Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it sort of creates this returning customer Mm -hmm. aspect right like there's two forms of that one is that people get really attached to you as a designer yeah and they like they like you as the author right keegan always puts out good shit regardless of what the title is 
The other version of that is that people get really attached to Fanta and then you start creating content for Fanta and that keeps keeps them coming back, right? And it's sort of, you know, the best comparison that might be the most basic for people who are listening is D&D, right? D&D keeps spitting out D&D every year. They will never stop. They'll never make a different game. Yeah, they're going to release D&D every month for the next yeah. 300 years. You're, we're yeah, never going yeah. to escape it. But yeah, it creates a <laughs> D&D audience that is willing to buy not only every product they put out, but also every product anybody else puts out related to D&D. Um, exactly. And exactly. having the space to do that within indie games is really cool and you know it's also this feedback loop thing because not only does D do that model but when we think about forge in the dark products or pbta games right they are feeding back the loop to the original game like oh i bought band of blades and it says it runs on the blades in the dark system if i'm a designer or i really love band of blades that's that might cause me to go buy Blades in the Dark, just to check it out, right? Yeah. To see if it scratches a different itch. Yeah, for sure. You see it a lot with Morkborg, too, I think is another really yeah. great example of the exact same thing, where there's sort of a Morkborg ecosystem. They can keep mm-hmm. putting out content for it, but other people can keep putting out content for it, and people will buy it because it says Morkborg on it, which is great. <laughs> like, this isn't me talking shit yep. about it. Um, yes, yep. Yeah, I, I love the... Th- and to kind of point at modular design as well. I know that I've had Spencer on here talk about it too. And it's it's just this concept of like, not only does it mean like put out more content for things, but it also creates like, because again, if we compare it to the, the, not the baseline, I hate saying the baseline for this, but if we can compare it to D&D, right? Mm-hmm. D&D is also a modular game where the base rules are in the player's handbook, mm-hmm. but then you can add Xanathar's Guide to Everything on top of that yeah. and get more subclasses. Get more. Or you can add Volos and get more monsters, right? Yeah. And like you can omit those things as well, right? You could do just the player's handbook and Volos and not have those extra subclasses, and that creates sort of a different quote-unquote game. Yeah, right? you have you have the player's handbook, you have the monster manual, and then whatever else you plug into it is, you know, a little modular bit. And you can have as yeah, much your, as little of that as you want. Yeah, your version of D&D, essentially. Your home, your home group's version of D&D. So I really love... I really love it because I think that it allows people to sculpt their experience with your game and then that gives them the opportunity to fall in love with it more because they're like, oh, I love I love the cosmic horror version of Fanta. I really hope that like at some point Keegan releases like a couple more challenging creatures or something, right? Like a little update to the game. That would be really cool for me because that's what our group likes, right? Mm-hmm. So I love that. I think it's an amazing thing to think about as like a business practice too. Yeah, I think it's it was a conscious decision I made going into Fanta was to do the sort of, you know, it's, it's the player's handbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think there's, you know, as, as much as I personally have my own qualms like Wizard of the Coast, D&D things and like make a different game, you guys. But it is interesting to learn from the model that ultimately we have to admit they are successful. Yeah, they created a really successful model. And I think a lot of people try to escape doing the same thing as them and not like Mm -hmm. doing sword and sorcery, but like, you know, creating a hundred products in the exact same, in the exact same game. Yeah. And creating that ecosystem for that game. Right. Mm -hmm. And we see it with video games all the time. Like world of Warcraft isn't suddenly going to become 
uh, what's another pop Guild Wars Two, right? right? Like they're not they're not going to turn into the other, but they are going to keep creating content that brings people back to their game as long as they exist in that perpetual state. Yeah. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Unlike a one-and-done game like Devil May Cry, but then you even talk about like franchising, like, ooh, I love Devil May Cry 1, I'm going to love Devil May Cry 2, right? Like that sort of thing. Yeah, I love Devil May Cry. I'm going to buy all the DLC for it. It's also very, like, in the same vein. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. Great, great trend choice. Thanks. Trend choice. I was so worried about choosing a trend, and then I was like, oh, wait, we were just talking about this. Let's go back to it. Yeah. Star Heist. Star Heist. Hello, Star Heist. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Round two. <laughs> Woo. Um, so, Star Heist, y- you know, give the intro to it, but but it was originally, you know, here's a fun fact, everyone. I am not good at getting into shit posts. Like, I don't understand shit posts. I don't recognize them in any form. But I know this sort of came as, like, initially a joke of stats, and then it became something so much more. Yeah, it was definitely, I tweeted, you have three stats, rootin', tootin', and shootin'. And (laughs) then I was like, God, you really could just change the stats in Fanta, and it would be a completely different game. So I did. I made Star Heist in, I think, eight hours, Mm -hmm. bottom to top, because I already had 
I have a really bad habit of making game layouts I'm not using and then just like mm-hmm. saving them in case I have a shit post I want to get through real quick. So I just uh-huh. plugged it into a layout I had laying around, recolored it, and threw a little fluff on the end of it. But yeah, it's it's Fanta, but your four stats so ended up giving us four is rootin', tootin', shootin', and bootin'. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, what is the what is the premise of Star Heist? Yeah, so it is you are a essentially a space cowboy. There is a space <laughs> train. It is on a rail. It is not jet powered. It is on a rail. It goes from Earth to Mars. We don't ask how that works. It does not matter. Um, and you're there to steal a bunch of shit. You have four stats. It's great. <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. But even still, just with those small pieces alone, because what I want to credit to is that I already have such strong imagery in my head of what this is going to like. And that might be like a core conceit of who I am as a person, because I I watch a lot of like Gundam and Mecha shows, and they're always they always have some sort of like space rail yeah, system it's... that's not jet powered. So like I know exactly what I'm looking at when you talk about that, right? Yeah, it's so uh, stupid. It's incredible. I love it. It's really stupid though. <laughs> but basically, this is this is a game where your whole intent is to. This feels like it has sort of a more to me a more finite design to it because the whole objective is like get on the train steal this stuff get off the train mm-hmm. right there's not like more to there is no that. campaign Unless... play in this this is a one shot <laughs> game for sure yeah it was very much like i wanted a really fine-tuned experience that used the fanta mm-hmm. engine sort of mm-hmm. directly to be a thing that sells fanta so star heist is free fanta mm-hmm. is i think ten dollars i really mm-hmm. should know the price of my own games this is embarrassing it is They'll know $10. when they click on the link to buy it. <laughs> I have it up in a window. We're good. Yeah, Star Heist is free. Fanta's $10. I'm still a relatively new designer in that I haven't had like a break that brings me an audience of like a few thousand people mm-hmm. to download a game. And sure, sure. it can be a little difficult to get people to download things from new designers. Like to spend yeah. $10 on a game when there's so many other games out there. So I was yeah, like... especially... Excuse me. Oh, you're good. Sorry, especially when we talk about the, you know, there, it's always hard to talk about like, what is the value of a game Mm -hmm. to people, right? Especially when you're a new designer, you know, people are probably going to be willing to spend 80 bucks on John Harper products because, you know, at this stage, they consider John Harper to keep putting out bangers, right? So it's like, ooh, another banger. But why I point that out is that that doesn't make your game that you create, no matter how big or small or whatever, any less valuable than any one of John's games, right? Yeah. So if Fanta is worth that $10 or even more mark, then then charge that. And so what if it doesn't get bought? I, I, would, I wouldn't want people to race to the bottom, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? There's like no, to try and get undercut the market. There's that whole thing you always hear about. There's, you know, $5 in indie games and we all pass it around or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. I mean, it's not true <laughs> for mm-hmm. one thing. It is just about creating an audience that's like willing to download your games, willing to, you know, spend the $10 on a game from you. And it just, I don't know. You have to like build an audience first and that's where it gets difficult. Yeah, yeah. And what's nice about Star Heist, when, now that you sort of revealed to me that it's sort of a, a, it's almost a quick start, honestly. It's a quick start for Fanta, you know what I mean? That you just put out there and like, hey, 
get the quick start to Fanta by playing Star Heist, a one session thing. Did you like it? Buy Fanta. You know what I mean? If you want more, buy Fanta. Yeah. And looking at like my Fanta analytics, a solid. So Star Heist, to be clear, spent two and a half weeks at the top of the itch charts, which doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean much. They're really easy to game, but it spent a good, de- it spent a decent amount of time near the top and mm-hmm. it did move a lot of people to Fanta. Star Heist was free. So people were getting it, seeing it was good and being like, oh, cool. It's built on another engine for a game mm-hmm. that is more designed for campaign play. Let's just buy Fanta. And it, it, I got a nice little bump in sales from it. It was a nice little experiment. <laughs> And I love, I really love that you're being trans, thank you for being transparent about sort of this data, because I think it really helps to inform this show is not only about the design of games, but it's also about the business of game design. Mm -hmm. And I want this to be a space where people learn all those facets, because at the end of the day, if you really like doing this, you probably want to be paid for it. Yeah, because that's just how America works. (laughs) Yeah, we need money, unfortunately. So, you know, call it what it is. Amazing. I really, I really love that. And I love that you sort of put out this pseudo quick start. I know that I'll probably have someone on here. Probably Chris, Chris Bissett. Yeah. I need your ass on here. Let's schedule something. It's probably my fault. It's probably my fault that we're not scheduled yet. It actually is my fault. So (laughs) I'm sorry, Chris, if you're listening to this, I apologize. Amazing. Good stuff. Do you have a, you know, I know that this is built off of, built off the Fanta system, but what is your favorite part of Star Heist, if anything? I just like making goofy games. This was Mm -hmm. just a fun thing to put out. It didn't have to be good. It just had to be, it was another, like, it doesn't have to be good. It just has to be out. It's free. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't. There wasn't any stress behind it. It was just, like, fun to make it. <gasps> I love that. Rootin', tootin', scootin', bootin'. That's all I'm going to do for the rest of my life, actually. Yeah, they're, they're a great set of stats. I'm, I'm glad I'm the first one. I, I'm saying I'm the first one to do it the same way <laughs> D&D says they're world's best role-playing game. Yeah, just, like, citation needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you please point me in the direction of who said that for you? Amazing. TLDR tip section. Keegan, I have a table here. Oh no. I said I'm I was worried about I, I said I was worried about trends. This is the thing I'm worried about. <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't be worried. You know what I say to every guest since you've been a longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> Feel free to give towards any amount of experience that you have. And it doesn't have to relate specifically to anything we talked about today. Mm-hmm. It can be something totally outside of left field. Worst case scenario, just tell the listeners how your day went today. On it. Sounds good. <laughs> That's going to be a five. I should have had this thing open. And I also should have this memorized by now. You don't need to memorize tables. That's what you have things written down for. Keegan, under the theme of marketing, prompt of marketing, what, what can you tell the listeners to, what can you help them with? Oh, wow. This is actually a great question. <laughs> this is the one thing I know. <laughs> I have tried truly three million things to market games. And it's just, in my opinion, I'm sure someone's going to have a better one here. The best marketing is just doing this for a while. Make make friends, mm-hmm. find other people doing it, mutually hype each other's work. 
But you know, there's always there's always the person who's lucky. They release their first game. It it's a smashing success. You know, they make a million dollars doing it. Whatever. That is not the standard experience of indie game developers. <laughs> and just like prepare yourself for it. I guess that's not really marketing, is it? But is there marketing maybe like is rough and you know, the best market is people who like your stuff and the best way to have people like your stuff is to just put stuff out. I I love that. Is there is there maybe a in your trials and tribulations, is there a tool or a platform that you found for you? Not everyone's experience is going to be the same. Mm-hmm. This is the quote unquote here. But is there any tool or, or system that you have found useful or that you've come to find that has has made things easier, streamlined, something to that effect? Finding discords with other game mm-hmm. designers who are willing to talk about your game and like, you know, take a shot on looking at you and stuff like that has mm-hmm. truly been the best bit of marketing I've done so far. I've I've done like paid Facebook, Twitter, Instagram advertisements. I've truly if like there's a thing to try, I've probably tried it at some point. And there has been no better marketing than just like being friends with people. <laughs> yeah, the pure networking of your industry for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I really attribute at this point in the show, all of my success to the brain trust and how supportive they've been and all the tangential brain trust friends who keep like retweeting me and start following me and everything like that with the podcast. It's truly been a blessing. Uh, I will not deny that. That, And you are a part of that as well. Oh yeah. No, I love the brain, the brain trust. I think let's double check. I think in this book, I flat out said as much. Yeah. Thanks to the Brain Trust Discord for helping me with this game. Yeah, like including there truly isn't a better space on the internet than the Brain Trust Discord. But <laughs> and check out the podcast as well. A uh, hype up Will and Adam. Check out the Brain Trust podcast. It's not just a Discord server. <laughs> that uh, also please sponsor me. That was a thing that took me a little bit to know. I was I think in the Discord for a month and a half before I found out it was a podcast. Absolutely same. Absolutely same. I will not deny that. I was in there probably until November, and they're like, hey, new podcast episode. I was like, wait a minute. What? Yeah, I was like, I, I think when it happened, I, I asked, oh, did you all just start a podcast? <laughs> oh. We're like 300 episodes deep. Luckily, I like shit post enough that I think everyone thought it was a joke, but it was a real question, listener. <laughs> I love it. I love that we get the insider scoops here. <laughs> Amazing. Well, then, with that, Keegan, I think that brings us to the end of the show. It has been an absolute blast having you here. This truly, truly in the best way. And me and Keegan have been, like, we've touched base on a couple of the projects that we're, we're trying to get off the ground, and this isn't our first conversation, but no, I'm this glad isn't that you could our, be here on this uh, first podcast. <laughs> Yes, we have many more to come in the year as soon as we figure it out. Being transparent. Keegan, where can people find you? Where can they find your games? All the links that Keegan uh, is going to share will be in the show notes down below. Yeah, I'm really easy to find. I'm at Keegan EXC, basically literally anywhere you can find someone online because I have a problem. At, you can find my <laughs> games at, I think it's Keegan EXE dot, yeah, it's Keegan EXE dot itch dot IO, or you can use my redirect and go to Keegan dot rodeo. Yeah, that's, that's where I am. That's where you can find me. 
I love that it's dot rodeo. I have a problem with buying URLs I don't need because they're funny. Yeah. So I just have so many redirects sitting around just waiting. <laughs> just hold just holding until it becomes real. I love it. <laughs> I had I think keganexe.com uh, for like a year before I did anything with it. Wow, I, I think I actually have like jeremygage.com or jeremywgage.com saved somewhere. Pork bun? I think I got it through pork bun. But anyways, that's <laughs> that. It's not about me. Uh, thank you, Keegan, for being here. Listeners, thank you for hanging out with us today and learning alongside me because I know that I learned a lot from Keegan for sure. And we will see you next time. Say bye to the people, Keegan. Bye to the people, Keegan. All right, that's a wrap. Keegan, congratulations on speedrunning the Draw Your Dice podcast, and also teaching me a ton about the potential future of the game design business scape. All the games we talked about today, along with all the links to get in touch with Keegan, will be down below in the show notes for your access. If you like the show and found it helpful, send a tip my way by following the link tree in the show notes to my Ko-fi or Venmo profiles. Or, if you are unable to provide monetary support, you can provide support at no cost by sharing this with someone you thought of while listening to this episode and leaving a review. Both of these methods greatly impact the success of this show and lets me know that what I'm doing is beneficial to designers out there. If you want to be a part of the conversation or hang out with the alumni from the show, you can also join the DYD House Discord server. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.